0: Anybody remember? Chapter 13, all right. Chapter 13, if you come for this evening service, we'll be in Revelation 15, all right. Five o'clock service, Revelation 15. This morning, Revelation 13. Let's turn there together. Got a Bible, good time to turn there. Pray, huh? Ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning in the word. Lord, we thank you so much for this special morning that you've um, given us to be together, to be with you. Lord, we've come expecting to hear from you, to hear your voice. Lord Jesus, you tell us that your sheep hear your voice and they follow you. And so we want to follow you, Lord Jesus, wherever you lead us. And this morning we come looking for a fresh work of your spirit as well in our hearts, in our lives, our homes, and in your church. And so, Lord, have your way this morning. We can't wait to to hear from you and to see you work in our lives. And we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right, so it's been a few weeks since we've been in Revelation. What does Revelation mean, by the way? You guys remember? revealing, unveiling. It is the revealing and unveiling of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are getting to see Jesus um, in all of his glory, all of his splendor. God wants to unveil and reveal Jesus to us in a special way. And and for me, studying through Revelation, it has been special. It has been a total blessing. And didn't God say that from the get-go? He would say we would be blessed. In the first chapter, we'd be blessed by hearing, reading, and doing what it says in the book of Revelation. It's the only book that comes with that threefold blessing. And have you guys been blessed, by the way? If not, you haven't been listening or reading or doing. Because <laughs> God promises that He is going to bless. And remember, as we've worked our way through this book, um, God has given us an outline in the book to help us understand, to make, to make heads and tails of this book. You guys remember where it is? Chapter 1, verse. What was it? sounded right. What Verse 19. John the Apostle, where was he at? The island of Patmos. That's where he received the revelation, right? Jesus came to him in chapter 1 and said, Write down three things. Number one, write down the things which you have seen. Number one, write down the things which are. That's second. And then number three is write down the things that must take place after... This or after these things and so the first part of the outline the things that John saw was chapter one again John saw Jesus and all of his glory and beauty and splendor and then in chapter two and chapter three we find the things which are they were seven letters or seven report cards given to who seven seven churches right physical literal historical churches that existed in John's day, the things which are. However, we know that that, those letters have been applicable throughout church history. They're applicable to us today as well, our church corporately and individually. As we walk with Jesus, what pleases Him, what displeases Him, we find out in those chapters. Then the third part of the outline, the things which must take place after these things or after this, is chapter 4. All the way to chapter 22. And it breaks down again pretty nicely in those chapters. In chapter 4 and then chapter 5, we get a glimpse of heaven, don't we? We get to see the throne room. We get to see God on the throne. We get to see Jesus, the Lamb of God, right? Who gave his life for us. The church in heaven also worshiping and praising the Lord, which is, we're in that scene, by the way. So get ready. Know those songs. Be prepared for those songs. You don't want to look like a dummy when you get there. And then what happens in chapter 6 through 19 is that period known as the tribulation which lasts how many years? Seven years. It's kicked off Daniel 9 by the signing of some covenant or peace treaty with the Antichrist and the nation of Israel. That's what's going to kick off that seven year period. And then after the seven year period Jesus comes back chapter 19 and and who's with him? We are, you guys. We get to ride back on killer horses, <laughs> cruising back with Jesus, right? He comes back and just opens his mouth and wipes out all of his enemies, sets up his kingdom on earth for how long? A thousand years, also known as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ also. That's chapter 20. Chapter 21 and chapter 22, we find the new heavens and the new earth, and we live happily. Not hard, Right? It's that, it's that simple. God has given us this outline. I believe he intends for us to understand his word. And so we are looking at future events right now. We're in chapter 13, um, the time of the tribulation, seven-year period, and it will happen after, I believe, after God removes his church. After he removes his bride, this seven-year tribulation period will happen. It will be the worst time in human history. The devastation, the deception, the devastation... The disaster, all that's going to happen during this time period, it's going to be brutal. And yet, in the midst of all of that, in in the midst of God's wrath, He remembers mercy, doesn't He? And that's what it says in the book of Habakkuk. In wrath, remember mercy, Lord. And He does. People get saved during this time period. The tribulation, the pressure, the compression will be what it takes for people to surrender to Jesus Christ. And at the end of the tribulation... Israel will be saved, those that cry out to Jesus, the Jews will be saved that cry out to him and he will come to rescue them. And so um, we are though in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in, and this morning we are introduced to the Beastie Boys, two beasts we're going to read about this morning. We've already uh, been introduced to one of them. You guys remember who it is? The Antichrist. Yeah, we've been introduced to him already. But we're going to learn some more about him today. Let's check it out. Chapter 13, verse 1. What does God's word say? John writes, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. So John's standing on the beach, and he's going to describe what he sees. And he says, And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, And on his heads, a blasphemous name. So John is doing the best he can to describe what he sees. Remember that. As he's seeing these different things happen during the revelation, he's doing his best to describe. And we're going to see in the next verse, he's going to use the word like. He uses the word as. Because um, he's trying to describe, again, in, in the best possible way he can. But notice this brutal, wild animal, this mutant sea creature, um, comes up. And where does he come up from? Rising up out of, the, out of the sea. The sea in the Bible refers to either the Mediterranean, the oceans in general, or it also refers to, and we'll see in chapter 17, it refers to humanity in general. I personally believe that's what it's talking about. The Antichrist will be a man that rises up out of humanity. He will be a man. He will be a person. And in Antichrist, it's interesting to consider that because we only see that term used, I think it's like four or five times. And it's used in the book of 1 John and 2 John, if you're taking notes. Chapter 2 in 1 John. 1 um, John. In John's day, so think about that, in John's day, he said, he spoke about and taught that the Antichrist would be coming, but he also said even at that time, many Antichrists had arisen. The spirit of Antichrist was already flowing and happening during that time period, just as it is today. So we need to step back and say, what in the world does that mean, Antichrist? Well, anti does mean against Jesus Christ, but it also means in place of. Not only opposition, but also in place of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to find out that the Antichrist is a counterfeit son. The counterfeit father is the devil. The counterfeit son is the Antichrist. And the counterfeit Holy Spirit during the tribulation will be the false prophet, who we'll learn about later in this chapter. But think about that. Think about the spirit of Antichrist even now. Think about how Jesus is replaced, right, with human reasoning, human logic, with all kinds of men's with man's, solution, man's solutions to man's problems rather than God's solutions to man's problems. All, all, the, all the times that people share things um, and teach things that are in opposition to Jesus, it's happening all around us today. And it's ramping up as well. And so that spirit of Antichrist is going on, but also the Antichrist, capital A, he's coming and he will lead Humanity in a full on end time rebellion against God. Um, Again, if you are taking notes, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7 uses a similar description of what we're reading here, but more detail is given as we read this. Notice something else about him. It says in verse 1, he's got seven heads and ten horns, and on those heads, uh, and, and on his horns, ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous. Name. If you were here a few weeks ago in chapter 12, that's a similar description to the devil. And so the devil and the Antichrist will be intimately connected. Um, As we read about this, the seven heads, we're going to learn in chapter 17. You can read ahead or check it out. In chapter 17, the seven heads refer to seven kingdoms, seven world kingdoms. I believe it speaks of seven world kingdoms that had existed uh, in the past, previously, in, and in their relationship to the nation of Israel. So think about, think about seven nations that have been, or seven world kingdoms that have been involved with the nation of Israel. Egypt, correct? God delivered His people out of Egypt, right? And then they br- were brought into the promised land, but they were up to no good, right? They couldn't behave in God's land and do what He said, right? So He had to put them in a timeout. The Assyrians, the Babylonians... And then also the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans also. And so the seventh, the seventh kingdom will be a coming kingdom of, made up of ten of these ten horns or these ten nations. And then one final ruling empire in which uh, the Antichrist, it will be the final revolution. And Jesus will put that thing down. By the way, ten horns, ten, horns speak of strength uh, throughout the scriptures. Horns and then crowns speak of authority. Also, so there's going to be ten world leaders, ten kingdoms, ten nations that will combine together with the Antichrist to give him their support, to give him um, their loyalty. But then in the end, it's just going to be him. He's going to be the one, the full-on dictator. And remember, he comes on the scene as he comes on the scene as a good guy. Remember back in chapter six when Jesus opens the first seal. Remember the riders that came, do-do-do-do-do, the first rider on a white horse, remember? He had a bow but no arrows, he brought peace, that's what's going to happen, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene, he's going to be a slick willy, he's going to get people to fall in love with him, and then all of a sudden, what happens three and a half years in, what does he do, you Remember? He turns, he breaks the covenant, goes into the rebuilt temple. You guys remember this, we learned this. He goes into the rebuilt temple, declares himself as God, and then persecutes the Jews. He goes on a rampage, killing them. And so we see that this guy is going to dominate. He's going to be a wicked, powerful ruler of a wicked, powerful kingdom. And uh, notice also on his head's a blasphemous name. Blasphemy speaks of slander or abusive, evil language specifically geared towards God. And so, listen, there's lots of speculation as to who the Antichrist is. People ask me all the time, who do you think it is, Pastor? And You know what I say? I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Because He's coming. And He tells us to be looking for Him, to be ready, to be about His business. I don't have time. I don't have time for monkey business. Man, there's people around us dying and going to hell. That need to hear about Jesus Christ. There's people in your office, at school. Some of you are going back to school tomorrow. Major bummer, I know. But major open door for you to share the the love of Jesus Christ. The good news. While we're still sucking air. God still has you here for a purpose, for a reason. To see other people come into His kingdom. And so John uses imagery. Notice in verse 2. It says, Now the beast which I saw was like... A leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. So, again, he's using imagery that if you're a Bible student, you should be familiar with from Daniel chapter 7. So, if he has feet like, a, or if he's like a leopard, how, what are leopards like? they slow? They're pretty fast, aren't they? Listen, the, the Grecian Empire, when they conquered, they were so fast. They were so rapid. Then he has paws like, what does it say, like a bear? Or feet like a bear? What are bear paws like? Sharp, powerful, heavy, crushing, right? The Medo-Persian Empire, that's what they did. They just crushed their enemies and, and brought brutal force upon them. A mouth like a lion. What's a mouth, lion's mouth like? You kiss it like, meow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Ferocious, Right. So he sees this, this beast with a ferocious mouth. The Babylonians were pretty ferocious in, in what they did. And so there's these influences of these previous kingdoms, worldly kingdoms, but this kingdom of the Antichrist is a different animal altogether. Along with its leader, it will be devouring, dreadful, dominating. And but the Antichrist kingdom, here's the point I'm trying to make. Hopefully, are you guys still rolling with me here? Are we connecting still? The point that I'm trying to make is that the Antichrist kingdom will be rooted in the kingdoms of the past. All that they possess in their authority and power, um, all those attributes as dominating kingdoms will be culminated into one empire. And it's going to be brutal. And that's what's going to happen. And so, in, in Daniel chapter 7, remember what, Dan, what happened to Daniel when he saw the vision of the Antichrist? Anybody remember what he did? Did he go out to Whataburger, get lunch? What did he do? You guys Remember? He was sick. It made him sick. Physically wiped him out, seeing this Antichrist and knowing what he would be doing. And so, notice it says at the end of verse 2, what's it say? The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Who's the dragon, by the way? Satan. Where do we find that? Anybody remember where? Chapter 12, verse... It tells us, so we don't have to guess. You don't need to Google it, you guys. Chapter 12, verse 9, it tells us. The dragon is Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. So it's Satan who's energizing the Antichrist, giving him his authority, his power, his throne, and what else does it say at the end there? His great authority. And by the way, those are the very things that Jesus refused and rejected. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? 40 days, 40 nights? One of the temptations was Satan took him up on a high, what? High mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world. All the glory, all the authority. It's all yours, the devil said to Jesus. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You don't need to go the way of the cross. You can take a shortcut. You can have it all if you just bow down and worship me. What did he say? You shall worship the Lord your God only, and Him shall you serve. And listen, that is a temptation not only that Jesus faced, every one of us will face. You don't need to go the way of the cross. You don't need to deny yourself. You don't need to take up your cross daily. You can do it your own way. You deserve a break today. You don't need to do God's word you can just you can just obey on some parts here or there. Take a shortcut. Don't 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 die to yourself and, and, and obey the word. But what happens? It's a shortcut. On the front end, it may be easy, but on the back end, what happens? The way of the transgressor, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Man, it's gonna be hard for you. It's gonna be difficult. But God's given us his word to help us in our relationships, in our marriages. In our homes, with our kids, with one another, as we fellowship, as we as we grow together as a family, God's given us instructions in order for things to work. Correct? I mean, who's the expert on marriage, gang? This is not a trick question. Who's the expert on marriage? It's not like you know uh, Oprah or Doctor Filth or whatever. Who's the who, me? Guys, know who's the expert on marriage? God is. Jesus is. He's the wonderful counselor. And yet we don't obey his wonderful counsel because we don't think it's wonderful all the time. But when we do, we put it into practice. What happens? We see it works. His word works. And so this guy, he receives all this stuff from the devil, the authority, the throne, the power. And so Jesus refused that. He would not take a shortcut. And so he was submitted to the Father's will. Look what happens in verse 3. John sees something else. He says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. Whoa! And what happened? And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him. So we find a counterfeit to death and resurrection here also. Just like our, our Lord gave His life for us, right? He gave His life a ransom for many. He was willing to lay down His life. By this we know, love, that He laid down His life for you and I. And He rose again. Aren't you happy He rose again from the dead yes. on the third day? He said, because I live, so you too shall live. And just like similar now, there's a counterfeit resurrection and John says, "I saw one of his heads, some with some type of a gnarly cut. He'd been, and by the way, it was a sword. It says in verse fourteen, right at the end, he was wounded by the sword and lived. I think personally, someone tried to assassinate him. They take the sword; somebody takes a sword, cho- chops him, cuts him up, and then all of a sudden, his deadly wound is healed miraculously. The counterfeit father brings the counterfeit son." the Antichrist, back to life and he recovers and what happens? The people love him. Isn't that what it says? All the people. What does it mean to marvel? Oh, wow. Whoa! We've witnessed a miracle. This is amazing. And so what they're marveling of him leads them to do what? What's the end of the verse say? To, to, to follow him and then to worship him. Isn't that interesting? Their wonder leads to worship and devotion. And listen, our wonder of Jesus should lead us to worship and devotion of Him. Of seeing how awesome He is, how marvelous, what He did to save and rescue us, giving His life for us, enduring the shame and the pain to rescue and save us. It should lead us to say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my life. Full. You paid in full the price for me. Lord, here's my life. I will be devoted to You. I will worship You. You are worth it. You are worthy of all my life. These people are saying, whoa, this Antichrist, this, the devil, they're, they're worthy of our worship. Listen, does what Jesus has done for you lead to worship? Does it lead you to worship Him? To sing to Him, to praise Him, to thank Him, to give Him everything? And it's interesting because it's the, notice it says they worship the dragon, the devil, the one who gives the authority to the Antichrist. They also worship the Antichrist Saying what? He's like no one else. This guy's so special. He is unstoppable. Listen, people are so taken in, they worship. And I read that, and sometimes I used to think, you know what? How could they be so dumb? Well, when you reject the truth, you open yourself up to all kinds of craziness. When you reject the truth of God, of His Word, you open yourself up to lies and deception. Well, how do you know that, Pastor, because I was there? That was me, man. I was once there before I came to know Jesus, and God rescued me. And when He came into my heart, He opened my eyes and my understanding to know the difference between truth and error, and I'm so grateful. Listen, apart from His Spirit and His Word, you got no chance, man. You have no chance whatsoever. Why are you talking so fast, Pastor? Because I'm so excited. <laughs> Because if I don't, everything gets cluttered up. and Got to keep it rolling. Green light. But listen, maybe you're here this morning and saying, I, I, I'm listening, it's all about beasts and horns and dragon-like critters. What a bunch of nonsense, man. Listen, this is God speaking to your heart. It's not an accident you're here and listening. He loves you so much. And we're going to read about in just a moment. There's a book of life. That all those that know Jesus Christ, your name, is in the book of life, in his roster of heaven, the redeemed of heaven, and that he gave his life. It happened not not it happened all the way in eternity past. He was willing to lay down his life for you, to demonstrate his love for you. That he doesn't want to live without you, that there is room in the Father's house for you right now. Don't be deceived, don't be ripped off by the lies of the devil or the lies of this world. There is a God that made you, created you, loves you, and desires for you to be with him for all eternity. But you need to open your heart up to him. Otherwise, you will open up your heart and your life to deception and to lies. Well, notice verse 5 and 6. This Antichrist, this dude, he was given a mouth, speaking great things. He's a big talker. And blasphemies, again, he's slandering, using abusive language. And he was given authority to continue for how long? 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. Isn't that great? We keep seeing this. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. So the last half of the tribulation, three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So all this junk is coming out of his mouth. He's talking trash and he's swaying people so follow him. And notice four things he, he, uh, he slandered. He slandered God. Blasphemy against God. Number two, blaspheme God's name. And when, you speak, when we speak of God's name, it speaks of his what? His character, you guys. Blaspheming the character of God, his holy name. The third thing he slanders is God's tabernacle. God's dwelling place, which is heaven. And then third, what, is it, what does he blaspheme? Those who dwell in heaven. Who is that that talking about? That's us. Right? Those in heaven. Those that have made heaven their home. Right? We're just pilgrims passing through. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. In the Father's house. So he's talking trash about Christians also. And so, you know, it's interesting. Slander, slamming people, trash talking about people. It's consistent with someone under the influence of darkness. Why, and I've been thinking about this. Why do people slander? Why do people talk trash about people? Tear people down? Why do people do that? You ever thought about that? They do it to make themselves look better. It's pride. I'm cutting you down so I inflate myself. So this guy, he is talking trash. He's talking slander about God. And what comes out of a person? Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth. Speaks. It's what's in the heart that's going to come out. What comes out of a person says a lot about what's going on in our hearts, you guys. That's why it's so important for us to give our hearts over to the Lord continually. Lord, wash my heart. Cleanse my heart. Correct? Not wash my mouth out with soap. That's not going to help. That's what my mom used to do to me, by the way. Anybody else get their mouth washed out with soap with them? No way! That's so awesome. I had Irish Springs. <laughs> that's the worst. I don't even use it now. <laughs> I feel like this aversion. But here's the thing about that. You can wash out someone's mouth, but you can't, it doesn't wash their heart. Right? It doesn't cleanse the heart. Only Jesus can cleanse the heart and clean up that filthy tongue, that filthy mouth, or that gossiping. There's not gossip in the church, is there? We call it prayer requests. <laughs> sadly, sadly, that's how often we do that. But it has, it has no room. Again, no room. It should have no room. That's why it's like, okay, let's give our hearts over to the Lord continually. That what's coming out is edifying. That we are fountains and not drains, you guys. And so, are you still, still connecting? Are we good? Okay, let's look at the next verse. It was granted to him, he was given the AOK verse 7, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That's such an interesting phrase, to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so he makes war. He fights against the tribulation saints. Those that get saved during the tribulation, he's making war. And what's it say? He's overcoming them. He's wiping them out. They're getting totally wiped out. They're killed on a massive scale. And by the way, I think it's just a side note. If these are church saints, then they're not being kept safe. And the promise of Revelation 3.10 is now null and void. Because God promised to keep the church from that very hour of trial that would come upon the entire earth. But not just that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not what overcome or prevail against it so personally that's why I believe this is another reason why this is not the church saints this is the tribulation saints and so the believers though at this time they look like total losers we didn't bow down and worship the devil we didn't bow down and worship the antichrist we didn't take the mark which we'll read about in just a minute And we're getting killed left and right. (laughs) But that's not true in light of eternity, is it? Because the best is yet to come for those that are trusting in Jesus Christ. Correct? Amen to that? If if you don't know the Lord, if you are living for the things of this world, and you die in that condition, listen, the worst is yet to come. This is the best it will ever be for you. This is it. Whoop it up now. But again, it's not an accident, you're here. The Lord's reaching out to you to rescue you, to save you, to make you his very own. And so they look like losers, but that's very brief in light of eternity. Very brief. How long is eternity for? You ever, ever think about eternity? It's a long, long time to be on the right side of God. You need to be on the right side of God. Well, all authority is given to this dude, absolute power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Isn't that the saying? He receives this uh, this authority over, notice what it says, every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's global rule. That's scary. This dude is dominating, controlling. That's going to be a scary time on planet Earth. But can I remind us this morning? He doesn't have ultimate authority. Only the Lord does. We can rest in that today, can't we? Do you know that? Do you believe that this morning? That the Lord's in control. Do you guys believe that this morning? I mean, there's some news that's happening around us. It's pretty nutty, pretty crazy. But then you have, to, you have to say, wait a minute, what does my Bible say? What do I know about the Lord? He is in control. He's still on the throne. And my life is still in His hands. He's got me in the palm of His hands. He's holding on to me. He's working all things together for good in my life. Underneath are His everlasting arms. Those are some pretty strong arms that He's got. Well, look at verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship Him. They're going to worship the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All who dwell on the earth. We see this phrase used over and over and over again. These are the people that have rejected Jesus and that they're living for the things of this world. In other words, they've made their home On planet Earth. That's what dwell means, to abide, to live. This is my home. Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke about those people that he spoke about don't be like the heathens or the pagans who live for what we put in and put on. That's how the pagans live. They live for the things of this world completely, the heathens, those that don't know God. But you, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so these are people that are living for the things of this earth. And they're gonna worship the Antichrist and notice their names are not written in this special Jesus' special book, The Roster of Heaven. And so I think the flip side of that though, isn't that a comfort this morning, brother or sister? Your name is in his book. Isn't that awesome to consider? In fact, Jesus said that should be a cause for rejoicing in our lives. Remember when the disciples remember when the disciples came back from that short-term mission trip? And they said to Jesus, You would not believe the demons are subject to us in your name. We're casting out demons left and right. and This is going on. Remember the first thing he said? First thing he said was what? I saw Satan fall like lightning. In other words, don't get puffed up with pride. God's using you. God's using your life. Don't get puffed up. Satan fell. And then he said, Don't rejoice... Don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name. Rejoice that your names are written where? Amen. In heaven. Are you rejoicing that your name is in heaven? I am. I'm excited about that. Thank you, Lord. You broke my Mikey. <laughs> right? Cool as that. But also it says, look at the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before Calvary. Before he took the cross up the hill, via Dolorosa people insulting Him, spitting on Him, mocking Him, before He even went to the cross on Calvary and had the nails hammered into His hands and His feet and the, the crown of thorns on His head. And if that wasn't enough, the physical pain, the, 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 the accusations, all of that. This, notice what it says. He was slain from the foundation of the world. That's before that's before Genesis. This plan didn't just happen all of a sudden, out of nowhere. It was foreordained. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. It was foreordained. In other words, God had this all planned out before, before we, anything was created at all. That's amazing. You know what that means? Jesus willingly laid down his life before he even came. He said, I'll lay down my life for Mike. I'll lay down my life for those precious people. For the planet, for people that will mock me, that will rebel against me, that will curse me, that will blaspheme, I will come and lay down my life. I think that's an important lesson for us. If we're going to have victory in our lives, we have to lay them down. To say, Lord, here's my life. Before, the, before the, the challenge even presents itself, the difficulty even comes, it's like, Lord, my life is in your hands. I lay down my life. I'll lay down my life for the brethren. I'll follow your example. I'll take up my cross and lay down my life for you lord. And so he did it before the foundation of the world and then so that's the love of God so awesome. But then the fear of God. Look at the next two verses. It's a warning and an encouragement. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. You guys remember that phrase? Seven times in chapter 2 and 3, but there's a key there's a key phrase missing. What is it? If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. It's not there. It just says, "Hey, anyone that has an ear to hear, let him hear. In other words, tune in. Listen up. Don't miss this. He's saying, don't tune out. Don't blow this off. Don't pay lip service. This is coming. You better be on the right side of God. Why? Because look what it says. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. That's heavy, man. The person who enslaves another, brings another person into bondage, trips up someone, ensnares someone. What's going to happen to them? What goes around comes around. They're going to be enslaved also. And I think, you know, if that's, going to hap- that, that's a truth that's going to happen in the tribulation. But that happens today, too. You reap what you sow. And I think it's a war- I think it's a warning also for us. Jesus, Jesus gave that warning about causing a little one to stumble, didn't he? He gets all gangster, remember? It would be better if you had a millstone around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Right? You guys remember that? Then stumbling a little one. Promoting evil. Influencing others. Bringing someone into bondage. Look out. Let me, let me bring it a little closer to home this morning. I shared this first service. I feel like the Lord wants me to share it second service too. Social media. If you're posting stuff on whatever you got, I don't know what it, Instagrams or something, what are they called? I don't have any social media. I'm not down on it. Just, you, better, you better pray before you put stuff up. Can I encourage you in that? If, if the shoe fits this morning, wear it. I'm sharing this because I love you. Because you may be posting stuff that's tripping someone else up. younger believer a mature believer because you're exercising your liberty hallelujah we have liberty we have freedom in Christ but not to use to stumble someone else and if you're using your social media and you're doing it out of ignorance you know what repent just repent this morning say you know what I haven't been seeking the Lord this is something that's not bringing glory to God I mean first Corinthians we're gonna learn it all about our liberties is this something that brings glory to God? Am I in bondage to this thing? Am I causing someone else to stumble? I'm sharing this because I'm not trying to break your heart. I'm trying to help you so you don't break someone else's walk with Jesus. Now you say, you know what? Yeah, I need to repent. And that's awesome because God offers that, doesn't He? So you're not enslaving someone else. And then He says, what does He say? The person who takes someone else's life with a sword, they're going to get killed likewise. Here is the patience and the faith Of the saints, this is a word of encouragement and comfort to those believers living in the midst of persecution, with their lives on the line. What's God saying to them? Hang in there. God will bring perfect justice for you. His vengeance will be perfect. Those people that are persecuting you, they're going to get what they're—they're going to get what's coming to them. Then I saw another beast. Here's the second beastie boy. You guys ready? We still got ten minutes. Sweet. Can we do it? Yes, we can. <laughs> we can do it. You guys still with me? Sweet. If you're not, don't tune out, because this is where it gets good. Even better. It's already been good, I think, because it's God's Word. Then I saw another beast. Where did he come up from? Out of the earth. Where did the first beast come from? The sea. This, this guy, and he, it's a person, another dude, had two horns like a lamb. And spoke like a dragon. What's a lamb like? Do they, like they like put up their dukes and MMAU like they're gent aren't they gentile? gentle, docile. So this guy's going to be gentle, but he's going to be strong too because horns speak of strength. But he speaks like a what? Dragon. Who's the dragon again? Satan. Satan. This guy's going to be deceptive, slick, crafty, a liar. He is truly a wolf in sheep's clothing. Well who is this guy? Chapter 19 verse 20 tells us this is the false prophet. He is the counterfeit holy Spirit of this counterfeit Trinity and the Antichrist. He knows what he's doing because what does he do? He got a political figure in the Antichrist and now you have a religious figure. and what does he do? He mixes politics with religion. That happens all the time. Doesn't that happen today? (laughs) Happened in Jesus' day. It is a bad mix, you guys. It's a bad mix. And it's going to happen all the way up until the end of time. Notice what it says with me. Let's check this out. It says that he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. So he's got the same authorization, influence as the Antichrist. They work together, right? Isn't that what it says? In His presence. And causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And so just as the Holy Spirit points us to who? Who does the Holy Spirit point us to? Jesus Christ. The false prophet will point people to the Antichrist. Does that make sense? That's what's happening here. And so he's got the ministry of worship over a one-world religion. In the end times, during the tribulation, all religions will merge into one. This is interesting to me. It's called, I wrote it down, it's called Global Ecumenicism. Anybody heard of that? The ecumenical movement? It's happening today. Today, parts of the church are denying Orthodox Christianity. The virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the sinless life of Jesus Christ, the inerrancy and infallibility of the Holy Scriptures. Are you with me? Yes. People, mainstream denominations now denying what the Word of God says. It's happening all around us. And many deny it for an for a interfaith experience. I'm in it for the interfaith experience. We'll all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, my Lord. (laughs) You're good, I'm good. God's a God of love. We're saved by grace. We can live in the mud. Or, check it out, the God of the Bible is no different than the God of Islam. The God of the Bible is no different than Krishna, than the hundreds of gods of Hinduism, or the gods of of whatever else, Buddha, Buddha, Listen, you got a major problem. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. He didn't say, I'm one of many doors. Take your pick. Are you with me? This is so important. Because you may have to take a stand for that. And people want you to cave. They will try to make you cave. And what will they say to you? You're so narrow-minded. And I say to them, you're absolutely right. Not only is Jesus narrow-minded, I'm narrow- I love narrow-mindedness. I flew in from California just a couple days ago with Lukey Boy. We flew in. I am so glad the radio control tower Guy is narrow-minded. Yes. That he said to the United Pilot 1150, please uh, land on runway number one. That he didn't say, take your pick. <laughs> I don't want to be narrow-minded. Because only one way will get you safely there. There's only one way they will get you safely to eternity in heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so he performs great signs. In the next verse, verse 13, he performs great signs, amazing stuff being done by him, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So he's tricking people, verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So, this guy's getting what he needs to authenticate his evil ministry. This is so important because Jesus warned us about deception. Look out for deception. Deception will, will ramp up in the last days. Well, it begins to ramp up even more during the tribulation period. And by the way, it's so critical for us not to follow signs and wonders. I didn't hear any amens, but okay, let me lay it on you. <laughs> Signs and wonders are to follow believers. Mark chapter 16, Jesus said that with the preaching and teaching of his word sharing the gospel that he would confirm the word with accompanying signs. Signs and wonders follow believers. I'm not down on signs and wonders. I don't chase signs and wonders though. There's Jesus' face on a tortilla in Mexico. I've got to go see it. Oh, to increase my faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Signs and wonders do not create a lasting faith. It just creates a hunger and a vacuum for more, for for bigger, more marvelous stuff. I love signs and wonders. Signs should always point us somewhere, right? You see a sign, what does a sign do? Point you somewhere, correct? You're driving down 290, you got the sign, the little squirrel, right? The red guy. You know Bucky's is coming up pretty soon. Get your nugget, beaver nugget, or whatever they are. Keep right. Are you with me? You know that Bucky's is coming up. Signs should point us to Jesus. Wonders should make us go, "Wow, He's so awesome! He's so marvelous!" I could, Lord, I'm going to worship You even more. You're so great. Where do they point you to? It's critical, you guys. This is so critical. Why? Because because signs and wonders can be counterfeited by Satan. We see it all the way back in the Book of Exodus, right? In Pharaoh's court, Moses. And when Moses went in. The Egyptian magicians were copying, duplicating some of those miracles. In fact, listen to this. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many wonders and signs in your name? Did we not do this in your name? There will be people that even do signs and wonders in Jesus' name. And what's he going to say to them on that day? Depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness, you worker of iniquity. That's frightening. That's frightening, you guys. But there are people that say they're followers of Jesus. They even use the name of Jesus. They take the label of Christian. They're doing amazing stuff. But Jesus says, I never had a relationship with you, and you demonstrated it by the way you lived your life. That's heavy, man. It's a a good heavy. That was at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. That's a, that's a good heavy. It's a wake-up call, isn't it? To make sure you're on the right side of God. And so after convincing the world of how great the Antichrist is, he instructs them to make some kind of image, an icon. People love something they can grab onto, right? An image of the beast, a representation of the resurrected Antichrist. Verse 15, we're almost done. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. That's heavy. So here's this, this image, this icon, this idol. And it's talking and it's lifelike. Somehow it's given life, whether it's a robot or AI, some artificial intelligence. Or it's supernatural. It's not really clear. But those who refuse to worship are what? killed or wiped out for not worshiping. I think it's going to be I personally I believe it's going to be put in the temple in Jerusalem, this idol, whatever this is, this representation this statue and then verse 16 through the end, end of the chapter he causes all both small and great rich and poor free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell Except one who has the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. And so, notice what happens here. The false prophet, this religious leader, does what? He makes everyone, no matter what status of life take this mark either on their right hand or in their right hand or on their forehead or in their forehead. And before I go any further, I know people will come up and I, people will come up to me and say to me, Pastor, I went to the I went to the amusement park and they stamped my hand and I think it's the, <laughs> it's the mark of the beast. <laughs> I'm done. I can't wash it off. <laughs> I'm like, you know what, try some try some, some Irish Spring. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you didn't take that mark. That involves a choice of who you worship. You can either be marked by the Holy Spirit, or at this time, you'll be marked by the one you serve, the God you bow down to. It's going to involve a choice. And if you want to do business at this time, then the mark will be your ticket to do business. The mark identifies you with your owner and your God, the Antichrist. And I would point out, he wants to control everyone. That's all he wants to do, is control, destroy people. And listen, a one world economic system is coming. It is coming. We live in a day and an age when this is possible, with chip implants. Um, Technology now brings this even closer. And he will take this system and use it to control the world, you guys. And it tells us something about him. And, and by the way, in verse 18 also, as we finish here, um, the Hebrew and the Greek language has numerical values attached to, the, to their letters. So you can add up you know, the, the letters of someone's name and calculate the numbers. And, and if that's your thing, go for it. I personally I don't have time for that. Again, calculating numbers. And there's been, over history, lots of people identified um, with numbers and the numerical 666. Um, but in any event, I don't think we're going to be here for that. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We're not going to see him. But I think as we close, as time's up, we see two guys exercising power over people to control people. The colluding of, of a political guy and a religious guy together to gain control over people, that's going to continue to the end. That is not Jesus-style ministry. That's the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light is way different, you guys. Jesus doesn't use force. He doesn't use manipulation. He doesn't use coercion. He says, Here's what I did for you. I gave my life for you. I love you. And it's his love that conquers our hearts. He doesn't use force. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You hear my voice and oh, I'll come in. It's that simple. I'm not going to barge the door to hell That's not love. Love is, I gave my life for you. Before the foundation of the world, I already had you in mind, giving my life for you. And I, and I look at this, and Jesus doesn't, doesn't do anything by force or manipulation or coercion. Neither should we. Neither should we. His life, he gave us the example of laying down his life. We're called to lay down our lives for one another, to lay down our lives for the brethren. To give of ourselves. To follow His path. His path is what? Taking up our cross. Denying ourselves daily. And following Him. Because that's where life is found, you guys. Death, destruction, devastation is found going our own way. Jesus said, wide is the path that leads. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way and difficult is the way that leads to eternal life. He lets us know right up front. It's going to be hard. But guess what? He's with us the whole way. Until we get home. Amen? in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, that you chose to lay down your life long before it came to pass. Thank you for giving your life, Lord Jesus, that we might have life. And it truly is an abundant life. I just want to say thank you, Lord, for setting me free, opening my eyes, for opening up our eyes, Lord, for helping us to see your amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Thank you that we were lost, for now found. We were blind, but now we see. As part of a family, your family. And as part of your family, Lord Jesus, may we follow your lead, your leadership, going your way. Help us to do that. To grow in grace and knowledge of you.